You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is another post-coronavirus installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. And yes, we will find some more uplifting things to discuss. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports and TheBigSpur.com. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Uh, it feels a little weirder saying that since... We're not, of course, broadcasting live sporting events. UJC can still uh, chat about things on uh, various outlets in the website world. This is not a bad time to be a website guy, to be a sports talk show host, believe it or not. Um, I would actually uh, – I've told talked to some of my, my friends in the business who do sports talk radio. I said, you understand, like, you actually – your listenership could possibly go up. Because there's not a whole lot that, that people can do right now. Uh, if, if you're doing something on television, your ratings could go up because there's – I mean people just don't have excuses with ordinary life right now because ordinary life is all, is all but been put on hold. So uh, with all that being said – this podcast is not going to be put on hold. We told you it wouldn't. We've got another one here for you, and we've got lots to discuss. JC, how are you? Doing well, Mike. Hang it in there. You know, um, I'll be honest, you know, you're right, you know, in the sense that a lot of the, the members of the BigSpur.com and people that, you know, watch uh, and read things on 24-7 sports, they, they can't get enough of it. If it's significant, I know a player committed the other day that, it wasn't what a high profile, you know, one of those high profile guys. And boy, that that article went viral in a hurry. Uh, really good numbers on that, you know, more so than normally. So anything that happens, uh, I think people are really interested in. And I, and I think, you know, when you get topical too, and when you can kind of start showing the human side of things uh, with what we do, and, and we don't always have the opportunity to do that because, you know, we're chasing this or that or the other and talking about sort of the news of the day. Well, when there's a hold on the sports news, you can kind of dig into things, go down memory lane, uh, apply personal experiences uh, to the work and to generally uh, entertain our audience. And so uh, I think that's kind of a positive thing is because I, you know, I kind of enjoy doing that, get a lot of gratification out of it. So, uh, you know, that's been the positive. 
uh, as far as the work and uh, sort of what we do uh, as things stand here on the last day of March. And you are, and I like to think of you now more than ever, as the Dr. Fauci of college football recruiting. (laughs) (laughs) You show up in a lab coat and you type away that story on the latest five-star kid, and we all just sit mesmerized and hang on your every word uh, and analysis. And the uh, uh, so many things depend on that report. I, I appreciate that, and I think uh, it's very it's a very interesting time uh, in recruiting uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, and of course we'll we'll hit on on some of the. That's obviously one of the many. Uh, dominoes to to fall and be affected by everything that is is going on. I, you know, I myself, I'm not going to lie. I, I've been extremely restless. This is, um, I, I think I might have mentioned this our last podcast. I, it's been since college that I haven't called a baseball game this time of year. It's bad enough that basketball was abruptly ended. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I guess it would be roughly, I think Thursday. It'll be three weeks or three week less than fortunate anniversary of uh, myself, Jimmy Dykes, Marty Smith, about to call the SEC tournament's second round games with Alabama, Tennessee waiting, uh, with Florida, Georgia waiting. And we were about to call those games in front of a empty arena. And it's something that we talked about, and, I th- and initially I was like, oh, well, that kind of sucks because the crowd is such a big uh, part of of the ambiance of what we do, and it, it adds so much to a broadcast. One of my favorite things to do in, in doing play-by-play, whether it's television or going back to my radio days, is that the crowd is so energetic about a certain moment in time that you can do what we affectionately call in the business, lay out which basically means you don't say a word, your analyst doesn't say a word, and you let the crowd tell the story. And it's one of the favorite things to listen to when watching the games on TV or listening to them on radio. Uh, Obviously, that was not going to be a part of it. But then I thought to myself, you know what, this will be a unique challenge. It'll be historic. Uh, And the fact of the matter is it might be reality. And that's part of what we need to talk about today is what is going to be uh, reality. You know, a few weeks ago when all this was going on, actually even before it really hit the strides that it has now, somebody asked LeBron James, you know, would what, what would you think about playing a game in front of no crowd? And he said, you know, I'm not going to do that, dog, or whatever. I, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and it just goes to show you, I mean, in times of crisis, I don't look to athletes with blank you money to offer up practical solutions with all due respect. Um, you, the reality is, for example, in the NBA where they're still desperately trying to get a postseason on, that if, if it does happen, there's a very good chance you're going to be playing those games without a crowd. Is it ideal? No. Does it take away from the ambiance? Yes. Uh, does it take away from the overall product? Yes. Does it cause some – uh, uh, I don't want to say problems as much as, you know, for example, teams fight all year long to have a home court advantage, just like in, in college football, you want to have the home field advantage and all that is off the boards, obviously, if you have no crowd, but you know what, would you rather have that or would you rather have no games? 
And and it's kind of what we've been backed into right now is what are we willing to take? What 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 is going to be the new reality? I if I am of the opinion and I think most of us are of the opinion that optimal is no longer reality and whatever you can do to get games going again uh just like everybody else has to make an adjustment in real life, that's what you do. So I really don't – I'm not concerned about athletes saying that, well, I, I, I can't imagine play, not playing in front of a crowd. You know what? There's worse things you could be doing. You want to get paid? Do it. Um, as fans, we, we, we'd we hate the fact that we uh, can't see games. I know many people tailgate. If we're, if we're bringing it back to college football, it's a huge part of the experience. But would you rather have that? Uh, where you just have to watch it on TV with no crowd or no games at all. I submit 99.9% of you would rather have the games and just make do with, with what we have. So, I mean, that that is some of the things that are being talked about. There, are, There is discussion now that I saw this uh, this morning uh, from Brett McMurphy on uh, Twitter that his kind of unscientific poll – one fourth of the ads out there say there is a 50 50 chance that there will not be college football this season as if that's not frightening enough kirk herbstreet who i i submit to you what kirk herbstreet says in college football resonates as much as any voice out there mm-hmm. okay so when Kirk Herbstreet a few days ago says, I just don't think there's going to be a college football season. I don't see how it's going to happen. That was <laughs> – that really sent off an alarm that I don't think people were truly prepared to hear. Um, if you don't believe me on how important the words of Kirk Herbstreet are, there are still Tennessee fans that are convinced that Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler cost Peyton Manning the Heisman Trophy back in 1997 because on game day, which is basically the industry standard uh, on college football studio shows, they talked about the fact that maybe Charles Woodson should be getting the vote. And, and so that matters. People, A lot of people who don't have time to watch all the games, they listen to those guys, and, and that moves the needle. With all due respect to Joel Klatt, who's a nice guy and I think does a fine job as an analyst. Joe Klatt says that and everybody says, okay, that's nice. Kirk Herbstreet says that and people say, whoa, 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 whoa. Seriously? So uh, it, it's out there now. The The discussion of the possibility of not having a college football season is out there. I personally, JC, and it's just me. And let me just tell you, I'm like everybody else. I've watched countless hours of news coverage of this, and I know very little in terms of projecting what's going to happen. Uh, what are we? Labor Day weekend is the opening, right? Uh, the season starting back on time. Last year was a little early. We're back to having um, a bye week instead of two bye weeks. Everything is kind of on the calendar back to normal in terms of the way it's set up this year in 2020. I, I, I can't sit here and tell you what's going to happen three months from now, four months from now, five months from now. I have no stinking idea, and I don't think most people do. If, if the doctors don't know, how in the heck am I supposed to know? But I'm not at the point where I would sit here and, and tell people that I don't think it's going to happen. I somehow I remain optimistic that 
as, as the numbers keep coming in, as people are hopefully smart and, and quarantining and social distancing, um, as more and more remedies to the situation are produced, uh, we are a wiser nation. We are uh, a more equipped nation than we obviously were a few weeks ago. I like to think that by the time, say, August rolls around, and again, I know some people say, well, what about July? they got to be in the weight room in July. This is not going to be an optimal situation, and we might have to get rid of a bye week, and we might have to start late, and we might not have the same amount of practices we normally do, and it might be a little bit uh, shaky in terms of the quality of play, but it's still better than nothing. Is is what I maintain going into it right now. So that that's where I stand. Uh, as we are, what ninety days or so until fall practice would theoretically start. That that's where I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. And look, I, I understand. You know, during this time too, when you're a reporter, you're just kind of talking to anybody that that, that you think knows. And the, and the thing is, nobody knows. Administrators don't know. Um, Heck, the, the scientists and health professionals don't know because this is such a an unprecedented thing. I mean, not only do you have a pandemic, but you have a pandemic with a virus that acts very, very erratic um, if you look at it. I mean, you know, oh, it doesn't affect some younger people. Well, yeah, it does some. Well, uh, it's just for older people. They're, they're more susceptible. Yeah, they are, but then other people are dying. And then you read a story about a 95-year-old person that, that recovered from it, you know, and, and it's it's – it, 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 it's it's because it's it's new, you know. This is not like anything the scientists and the people that know have ever tried to tackle. And they're working around the clock um, to get a solution, but there's not one, and so that trickles down through all aspects of life. And you know, w- with regards to college football, I you know I, I think that people talk to just whoever, and and so you have some voices getting through in some of these articles. I you know spoke to a coach that doesn't understand you know, how, you know, they're going to need, I guess it was Brian Kelly that said this. Um, uh, I guess he was actually quoted that said, well, they need at least a month of weightlifting before they're ready for the season. Uh, and so therefore it was inferred that July 1st was kind of the cutoff date. Well, yeah, they do. And that's ideal. But like you said, Mike, it's not an optimal situation. <laughs> right. Um, and these these are college kids, but they're also high level athletes. I mean, don't don't be fooled. These guys are playing college football for a reason because they're outstanding athletes that can get into shape quicker than most of us. You know, they don't, you know, not all of them or most of them do not have to. I'll say most because there's never anything 100 percent. Most of them don't have to, you know, order Nutrisystem um, like those of us in our 40s or hit the gym, you know, twice a day to to get the weight off quick or to get in shape quick. You know, they they go, they do it a couple of weeks and get it now. Is it ideal shape? Is it ideal? No. Will it be? No. But I mean, look, the XFL had two weeks of training camp. I know a guy that coached in the XFL this year. And yeah, it, it kind of screwed that product up because the offenses were not in sync. And so you had a lot of defensive game, defensive struggles uh, early on in that league, which I don't think was their idea. You know, offense kind of sells tickets. And when you're a fledgling league, you need to score points. But, you know, that's why, because they weren't ready. Um, and I think that the, the people will sacrifice quality of play this year over having something. Um, I think if you're talking about it from a, a fan interest quality of the sport standpoint, obviously that does not overcome 
you know, what's in the best interest of public health. And so, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the, the conundrum with it all. And, and I think what the focus needs to be on is, you know, will there be able to be a season at all? If It's like one of those things. If yes, go this way. If no, go that way. And then you have like a box that says, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and I think if yes, then you have to start asking some hard questions as to how to do it. I, you know, there's a lot of ideas out there. Uh, now there was an article that the sports business journal put out that said some people are talking about playing it early. Um, because the concern is if you get out of the woods with the virus now, when October and November flu season starts back up, it's going to spread again. Um, and so you have to cancel it, cancel the rest of the season then. And, you know, you have a stop and go type of situation. Now, Bruce Feldman reported that nobody he's talking to has heard that. And I believe Bruce too, he's as connected as anyone. You know, so there's that kind of thing. There's the no fans thing. There's just playing a conference schedule. There's all these ideas out there. Um, but I think the first question, obviously, that has to be answered is, you know, what what does the what are the public health experts, the scientists, the people whose job it is to determine this? What are they saying about the situation? And then you go from there. Yeah, and and I uh, just to modify something I said earlier, ninety days would be the the day that uh, Coach Kelly's talking about. That would be July. Uh, August would be 120 days. You know, as we sit here and we're on the eve of, of April Fool's Day, which is certainly going to take on a different feel. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of ha ha jokes uh, on April Fool's. Um, so we're 120 days, really, to when practice would start. Uh, and so I can't sit here and forecast what what world we're going to be living in 120 days from now. Uh, I think it's going to be better. I think it's going to be better, uh, and, and I think they will do everything possible to get this season in. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why. You know, the obvious is they they want it. Uh, who, who doesn't want the college football season? There's also a, a little matter of uh, of finances. You know, first off, I I, I think the the uh, Misconception for a lot of people is is that college football brings in a lot of money and nothing else does. College, that college basketball tournament that we missed out on brings in a ton of money. Okay, that one point one billion dollars uh, that I, that doesn't just lie in the NCAA's pockets. That's distributed to uh, every Division One school, and some obviously get more than others, and the Power Five versus everybody else. So, and, and usually that Division One revenue distribution is six hundred million. Because we did not have a tournament, that was cut to two hundred and twenty-five. So, nearly a third. Uh, not to mention conference tournaments. For example, the Big Twelve conference tournament—that's a six point six million dollar hit. Uh, all these, and I know what everybody thinks. It's just a bottomless pit of money that all these uh, schools and conferences have. I'm here to tell you it's not. The reality is if we don't have college football, which makes up about 80% of the revenues, you know, for example, Georgia, I think has the sixth highest athletic uh, budget. Uh, University of Georgia's athletic budget is $176 million. Football is responsible for 141 million of that. That's 80%. So if you don't have football, you got some issues. Now, obviously, there are plenty of schools that will be able to tread water during that time, but there are several others, and I'm not talking about Conference USA schools here. I'm talking about some Power 5 schools 
that will be feeling it and wondering, what do we do now? Because there's a whole lot of other sports, even the sports that some people think make. There's women's basketball programs that go to the Final Four on a regular basis that lose $4 million a year because the men charter, so the women got a charter. And the fact of the matter is that the women don't get nearly as much in TV money. There, there is no $1.1 billion for the NCAA women's tournament. So the sports that you think might do okay run in the red from a budgetary standpoint. The other sports that maybe you don't think about as much, they obviously depend on football money. So much depends on football money. And if you don't have a football season, that's really where things start getting real. Like, I mean, it's tough to go no March madness. And for those of us that love college baseball or whatever other spring, uh, spring sports you might desire, it, it sucks. But college football, if you didn't have a season, um, I don't know what the contingency plans are, but I can tell you there are people sweating bullets about what that would mean financially. Yeah, and I, and I think for those reasons, I mean, what, what you have to do, uh, again, and this is all contingent on, I don't want to say getting an all clear because, I, you know, it, it's going to be – a while before there's a vaccine for this thing, but if they can find a treatment or something like that, it slows down, you know, you do have that pocket of when the weather gets colder again, this thing may spread again. Um, you also have the option of not starting the season until October um, and then playing it through February. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. ideal either, but if, if the cold hit, the cold season hits again, uh, and it's not spreading, and maybe you get the all clear. Maybe you just play football when you normally play basketball. Again, not ideal, but at least you get the season in. I mean, you right. know, it, it's it's not you're not gonna it's not gonna be ideal to play basketball and football at the same time next year. It's gonna be a holy grail for those of us that love those two sports, Mike. <laughs> if that would happen, let's say you started in October and ended at the end of February or March or something, and your basketball and football are going on at the same time, that, that'd be crazy, but it'd be awesome uh, to kind of, you know, consume those sports uh, simultaneously. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the thing is, is they need to be able to get it in. I, I think that, you know, you need to hold open – uh, a possible for possibilities. If you have to cancel the start of it, that's fine. Uh, but you need to kind of hold, I, I think they need to be creative and, and sort of hold out. Um, there's no law that says college football must be played on these dates. No, um, no. And, 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 and keep in mind the NCAA doesn't control it like right. they do basketball and every other sport. It's the, yeah, it's the conference, the conference commissioners, school press, mm-hmm. school presidents ultimately control football. So, you know, if they wanted that to happen, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, they could make it happen. And I think there'd be an interest there still. I mean, I don't think any of us that love this sport are sitting around in January going, man, I'm sure glad there are no games today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and none of us are sitting there thinking that. I mean, we've talked about the bowl season several times and why that's such a successful thing. It's because people love college football and they'll watch it. So, um, you know, I just hope that, you know, whatever happens that, you know, number one, public health takes a precedent. And look, colleges, most of these schools that are playing big time football folks are state supported schools, which means they are government entities and they are going to be very risk adverse about this. Nobody wants a public health crisis on their hands. And, and you've got politicians that will step in and stop it 
or in some cases may facilitate it, but that's, you know, that's a political topic. Um, I, I think that, uh, that, you know, that's what's important. And I don't, I just, I don't think they will, you know, do anything that's going to be a big risk or roll of the dice. Now, some people may sit there and write columns about, oh, well, you probably shouldn't do this and do that, you know, and and that's fine. But the bottom line is the people that are making this decision are going to have way, way more information than than those of us that are just out here covering it. So uh, I think that's the thing. I think there are some options. Um, I'm curious to see what they end up being. I hope they explore all of them. I mean, no fans would be weird. Um especially in a football stadium, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, they'd play and, and that'd be that. And, you know, you could do it. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I hope that they, you know, do find some answers, uh, after they answer the bigger question. Well, like, like so often is the case, sports is going to mirror, uh, the rest of society. Uh, I sure as hope don't want a September of this year where people aren't back at work. Um, so if people are back at work and we have some normalcy uh, by then, then I can't imagine why we wouldn't have college football going on. Obviously, there could be different standards of testing. You could, I mean, the tests are now made much more readily available. I'll tell a quick personal story just uh, uh, briefly on this. Uh, I have a, a longtime friend who's in the broadcasting business. He's on the news side. He's an avid listener to our podcast, as a matter of fact. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, uh, not because he told me not to. I'm just, I don't see the point in doing that. But I, I've known him for a while. Uh, he is in his 40s. He discovered, uh, he started, you know, having a, a fever and uh, I think stomach ache. Discovered, he went ahead and got the test, waited a couple hours in line to get the test. And sure enough, he tested positive for the coronavirus. He calls me up, tells me this. Now, now we all know of people that have gotten it. Uh, this was the first kind of intimate knowledge of somebody that that I know extremely well uh, that that actually has it, and so uh, you know it kind of jarred me a little bit. And I was like, "Well, what does that mean?" And he goes, "Well, it doesn't mean anything. It means I got to stay at home for 15 days. I can't go back to work." I said, "Well, do your family have? Does your family have it?" He's got a wife and two kids. He said, "Yeah. I mean, the doctor said almost uh, certainly. We all live under the same roof." As contagious as this thing is, and that's really what separates it from the regular flu, uh, it is ultra, ultra contagious. Um, as he pointed out, the, 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 the death rate is actually less than the flu, uh, but it's, it's super contagious. So I said, well, what happens now? He said, I, again, I just I waited out. I talked to him this morning, and uh, he's A-OK. They've been sitting at home, binge-watching on Ozark, and uh, – and he's going back to work on Monday. Now, I, you know, maybe that's best case scenario. I don't know, but I, from what I understand, there's a lot of other stories like that. He didn't go to the hospital. He wasn't on a respirator. He didn't take any drugs. He quarantined himself and his family at home because obviously the kids aren't going to school and the wife's not going to work. So everybody's under the same roof. Presumably they all have it. We know he's got it. He tested positive for it. Fifteen days later, he's fine. Boom, back to work. Now, I realize that's not the case for everybody. But talking to some other people that I know, even in the medical profession, that is more common than what you hear on the news. 
I mean, if you just watch the news and you see graphics, full page or quarter page graphics on death count and everything else, you know, you can really start getting yourself into a frenzy if you do that. And I would recommend, and I watch as much as anybody, every now and then just step away from it. And I know that's harder to do because normally our our go-to to step away from stuff like that is sports. And guess what? There's none of it on. Um, but the, there, there, there is reason to believe that this is going to get better with time. And that's why I just, I wouldn't sit here and, and sound the alarm four months from the start of the season that we're not going to have college football. I I'm just, I'm not there. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Obviously I hope I'm not. And, and really if I am okay, that uh, that's fine. But I, I, I think that, uh, we all just need to hit the, uh, the hold button before we hit the panic button and then again, as, as we mentioned a number of times, it's the, probably not going to be optimal. Whatever it is, whatever shape, form it, t- it takes place, assuming there is a season, it's probably not going to be the optimal conditions that we are used to. But that's okay. Nothing is optimal right now in our lives. Think about it, folks. There is nothing optimal about this at all. It sucks in so many different ways. Uh, so if we have to alter certain things so be it. By the way, I mentioned that I, you know, I haven't watched any sports. It's not entirely true. JC, I watched several Elite Eight college basketball games on the CBS Sports Network over the weekend because we would have had the Elite Eight. We'd be on the uh, the doorstep of the Final Four, I guess. Um, and, and, uh, it was on CBS Sports Network. Quite frankly, I, I forgot to forgot that network even exists, but it was kind of cool. It's kind of cool just watching old games of that. I've watched several 30 for 30s. Can't get enough of those. Uh, the Dan Patrick show was running a live show. They had Meat Madness, the road to the final fork, where people came up with songs about a particular grill company and and grilling. And uh, I found that I found that entertaining. Uh, I did binge watch on Ozark. Re, rewatched seasons one and two, now on to season three. Watched another uh, Ted Bundy documentary. That's disturbing as always. Uh, and, of course, again, countless hours of, uh, of press conferences on, on, on the virus and, and so on and so forth. So I did manage to sneak in two rounds of golf on a course that wasn't going to charge. They said, go ahead and play. I was in Kentucky for a week, week and a half, and shot baskets on a driveway hoop, played ping pong and pool. So that's what I did. Now most of those options aren't even available. (laughs) They're ripping off rims from backboards, golf courses, no no chance, closing beaches. I mean, there's literally nothing we can do. We could just sit here and do like a – 24-hour day podcast because I got nothing else going on. I don't know about you. (laughs) I got nothing. Well, they did reopen um, in Illinois. They opened the the golf courses back up for a week. Um, of course, the weather in Illinois is terrible. Um, it's too cold to play golf most of the time these days. Yeah. But uh, it uh, and then they shut them back down. But I I, I was going to the store uh, when I was up there and I, I saw um, some folks out there playing, staying six feet apart. I mean, and really in golf, I mean, I think you probably could golf safely. Uh, in my opinion, you just, you just need to you know ride separate carts. Don't don't get in the cart with anybody and. You well, know. this one you had to walk it. Oh yeah, you, you, you had to walk it. And and think about this was kind of cool. You couldn't get reach into the cup with your hand and grab the ball. They put like styrofoam in the cup, 
So obviously, if the ball hits the styrofoam, you presume that that's that's in that that counts. Ah. But but that way you couldn't reach your potentially germ-ridden hand into the cup. So therefore, they thought that was safer. And I was like, yeah, hey, okay, I'm down. Sure, innovative. why not? Now, yeah. um, Ozark, as we've talked about many times on this show, and no spoilers here. Uh, I started season three on Friday at about five o'clock. Uh, took a break Saturday and Sunday, and then finished the whole season up yesterday. <laughs> you did? I you watched, went all the way. You I went, went the distance. I went. I went. I went seven episodes in Friday night. Like we uh, we sat there, um, got some takeout, and um, just started watching it. And all of a sudden, it was midnight, twelve thirty, and on episode seven, I was like, I need to save some of these for. I'm not going. I mean, a buddy of mine actually. Did it all in one sitting, and I was very impressed with that. Uh, but, hey, what a great show. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, some friends of mine that I've recommended it to over the years, that they just, you know, they maybe watched the first little bit of the first episode. It was slow, so they they, they bagged it. They've gone back to it now, uh, and they're, like, in the middle of season two. And uh, so I'm sitting here going, I'm getting texts from friends, like, how does Marty Bird stay alive? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you got to watch to find out, brother. But, right. uh, but you know, so I've been doing that. And um, I, uh, one big thing we do around here is concerts. We, uh, there's t- tons of concerts on YouTube. And with TVs, we talk about how TVs are so good these days, Mike, and with regards mm-hmm. to uh, watching football. Uh, you know, concerts probably aren't totally the same, but on YouTube, you can find some shows that, you know, somebody bravely and, I kind of admire this uh, this sort of uh, tenacity. Somebody's gone there with a really good iPhone and held the cameras still for the whole show. They're ten rows back. That they move the camera in the right way. The sound is outstanding, and it, it's not like it's not like being there, but it's similar, you know. So mm-hmm. we have concert Saturdays, and we fire up some of those uh, last two Saturdays. We. Uh, I don't know if anybody that grew up in the 80s and 90s remembers The Cure. I I thought they were done. Uh, (laughs) And I found a a concert by The Cure from 2019. And I was like, man, you know, I expected it to be a little little better than terrible. And it was actually really good. I was like, you know, because that uh, The Cure, for those of you who don't don't know, is kind of a, uh, they were kind of goth before goth was cool. But all their music was sad. It was about the, the lead singer, Robert Smith, had his heart broken. And he wrote all these songs about this girl. And they ended up getting married. I've read the whole story. <laughs> and uh, and so he quit making music. He's, he's, he's from England. He's like, well, I'm not sad anymore, so I can't make the sad music anymore. Well, I guess he, like a lot of other artists, ran out of money. Um, and so they're touring again, and it's pretty awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I, that? that, that's what I've been doing, too. But uh, It's funny. I it, There's a lot of those bands where it's like, if you don't have heartbreak, what do you got? Uh, what was it Lincoln Park? I feel like every song. Yeah. I feel like the the lead singer just wanted to go. And I hate my dad. And this <laughs> is what this is about. And then there's I, I, when I was in college, Nine Inch Nails oh, like, became yeah. a thing. And Trent Reznor, who I think is brilliant, the Pretty Hate Machine, and friends of mine who can't pin me down musically, uh, they're always surprised and they're like, "Really? You used to listen to Easy E?" Like, yeah, yeah, I knew every word to the Easy Does It uh, CD or cassette, whatever was out at that time. And then when I tell them I, I had pretty hate machine, Nine Inch Nails, they're like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. No, absolutely. But half of those songs are about Trent being bitter at some woman that broke his heart. 
and the other half were I don't know I hate the world and drugs drugs and I'm I'm Joe atheist and whatever else but the music I because I, honestly I don't listen for what these guys say I don't think that they're the brilliant poets that a lot of people think I listen to the music the actual sound mm-hmm. the beat the sound and a unique sound uh, there's just so few bands that have had that in our lifetime you know our we're too young to be around when Led Zeppelin was in their prime. I told the Robert Plant story meeting him in Nashville uh, about a month ago and how cool that was because I, I know enough about it to know that that was something that hadn't been done before. Uh, and Nine Inch Nails to me was something that hadn't been done before, whether you like it or not. It's Nirvana was something that hadn't been done before again whether you like it or not whether it lasted or not and blah 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 but there's just so few bands that can have that obviously the beatles and so on and so forth but um yeah so i uh i i I think of those particular uh bands about it but i i remember the cure i have absolutely i think i think when i was in like Middle school, every girl had the cure written on their notebook. That, and then in elementary school, was Duran Duran. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a good. I saw a documentary on Duran Duran. Now, they left out a lot of stuff. <laughs> because, I mean, I would love to know what it was like. That band touring in the 80s, mm. holy smokes. There is not a girl alive at that time that didn't have it for at least one band member or every single one of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then like every other band, somebody got mad at somebody else. And then this guy went solo and that guy went that way. And, and that was the end of that. I don't know how we got on, on to all this, but, uh, we'll break down some more music. Maybe the next podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I mean, on a sad note, uh, and I don't, I don't think the virus had anything to do with this, but i before I say that, I haven't seen a cause of death. Jim Lambright, who was the uh, coach at Washington for about six good years. Uh, before that, he was Don James' defensive coordinator there for 14. Really synonymous, both as, as assistant and head coach with, you know, Huskies history. Uh, 44-25 and one, won the Pac-12 in 95. Um, passed away, age 77. Uh you know, and, and so I started to think about that and think about Washington. And, you know, Washington's kind of come back. They came back under Peterson. Who knows what will happen now that they have had another coaching change, surprisingly enough. Um, you know, and, and, and that's got to be tough, too, if you're a first-year head coach at a program now. You can't even, you don't have time to get to know your players. But, uh, Mike, it, it started making me think a little bit about back in the day. And we've talked about this, you know, about how now the system is much better than it used to be. And uh, speaking of the 90s, I remember there were, there were three split national championships in the 1990s. 1990, Colorado and Georgia Tech. 1991, the aforementioned Washington Huskies and the Miami Hurricanes. And then 97, Michigan and Nebraska. Then the next year, we went to the BCS, and we hadn't really had a split national title since then. We've had some other stuff, that some other, other what-ifs. But I was just thinking about the, those three seasons, and I was like, man, you know, I, I, I sort of, you know, have some opinions as to who would have won those things. And, and, I, and I still, to this day, feel very strongly about those opinions. Well, I, my number one opinion on all of it, and I remember, uh, of course, uh, 
many of these when they were played, uh, we were still in school, right? So I mean, my my opinions were not as fully developed yeah. in 1990 uh, as they are today. But even then, as a kid in school who already loved college football and already had aspirations of covering it and broadcasting it, thought this is ridiculous. Split title? Really? It's not bad enough that we don't have a playoff, but now we're going to actually crown two people. What is this, Little League? Are we going to give everybody orange slices at the end and everybody gets a trophy? I, I thought it was insane. And I was looking to my elders for answers like, this is not right, is it? We're really giving Colorado and Georgia Tech both a national championship trophy? We're really giving Washington and Miami both a national championship trophy? Um, the one I remember more vividly, of course, is Michigan, Nebraska, 97. You know, I mentioned the, the infamous, uh, Heisman balloting Charles Woodson over Peyton Manning, uh, during that time back in, in 1997. And so there was enough controversy in, in that season to begin with, but the, another case where, again, that's when Nebraska still had it rolling. I mean, that would have been their what third title in four years, right? Because mm-hmm. they won it in 94, 95, uh, Florida won it in 96, and they won a share of it in 97. It's hard to believe Nebraska. The Nebraska we know today, that same program, the same logo, the same stadium, the same fan support, but even more money, uh, now can't get above mediocrity, but back then was the dynasty of the 90s. I think sometimes – that uh, that fact is lost because I think uh, for a lot of people, the first program you think of in the 90s is Florida State. And they were a hell of a program in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they even had more top five finishes. I think they had the longest streak in the history of the sport of top five finishes in the AP poll under Bobby Bowden. But Nebraska won more titles than they did in the 90s. They won three. Uh, Tom Osborne had it rolling. Absolutely rolling. Uh, I used to work with on the Panthers broadcast, Mike Rucker, who is a defensive lineman on those great uh, Nebraska teams. So he's got a, a, a national championship ring or two. And he talked about how, if you remember, Nebraska before that, they could always get to the Orange Bowl and then they'd get slaughtered by a team that couldn't match up with them size wise, but just had too much speed. So it was the old thick ankle philosophy, right? And Nebraska could beat you in the weight room, but they weren't going to beat you on the perimeter. Then they started getting Tommy Frazier and Lawrence Phillips and some of their wideouts all of a sudden could run a 4-3 instead of a 4-6-5. And defensively, they got speed. So they weren't just big and burly. They threw in some quickness with that. And that's when Nebraska became virtually unbeatable for a time. How did it all go downhill? That's a thirty for thirty in itself, but uh, uh, but but they had it rolling as much as any program in, in our generation, JC, because we weren't around for the Bear Bryant teams uh, or the Bear Bryant dynasty. Uh, maybe we were babies for for the end of it, but uh, and and in our lifetime, Nebraska is the closest thing we've seen to that, and of course Alabama, obviously the the latest to that to, to win. Uh, the what five under Nick and you go before that one under Stallings in 92. Uh, but Nebraska in the 90s, they were legit. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you look back and you wanted a team of the 90s, obviously Florida State 
had problems. I mean, we all remember those great teams under Bobby Bowden. And had there been a playoff, Florida State would have probably had more national titles than two. Okay, let's just be straight up with it. Cause they had, I agree. They so had, would Florida under Spurrier. Yeah. Oh, Florida especially. They had um, – but Florida State had a problem. They, they couldn't kick a field goal against Miami late to save their life. <laughs> right. And uh, that just happened. It kind of just happened that way. But uh, when if you wanted to name one team in the nineties, and and you know I think no, no disrespect to Miami that was, which was great during the first half of the decade, then had to go back and rebuild under Butch Davis. Um, no disrespect to Florida State, it, it was Nebraska. They were not not only constantly winning because uh, they won two title or they won one title or two titles, and then tied for another. Um, you know they were you know, consistently playing in the mix. I mean, Nebraska was right there, you know, when you talked about national championships. And I'll, I'll go back to that 1990 game or, or season with Georgia Tech. You know, that's who Georgia Tech ended up playing uh, in the Citrus Bowl uh, because the ACC had a tie-in at the time where their champion went to the Citrus or whatever uh, to, to claim the national championship. Uh, I'll go back to 81, you know, and Clemson beat, I think, a one-loss Nebraska team in the Orange Bowl to win their first national championship. So Nebraska was kind of this gold standard program uh, for a long time. And uh, them and Miami and Florida State, all three in the 90s, and, you know, we're far away from that with any of those programs. But, you know, I look back, and I'll mention 1990 and 91. You know, I strongly feel like the 1990 Colorado Buffaloes, and nothing against Colorado, because that's another program that has gone – the, the way of the dodo a little bit hmm. um, that nobody remembers. They used to be really good and they were a pain in Nebraska and Oklahoma side under Bill McCartney. That Colorado team went nine, one and one in the regular seasons. They lost a game and tied a game. One of their wins was the infamous fifth down game at Missouri. Uh, Missouri was in the big 12 at that point. For those of you that don't remember. And, and I actually think at this big point eight. it was the big eight. Um, Georgia Tech was 11-0-1. They had one game that they tied in Chapel Hill, and this was actually a breakthrough moment during Mac Brown Part 1 at North Carolina. Uh, Tech went up to Chapel Hill, had a really good team, uh, and tied the Tar Heels, and that's when they were ties. Um, so that was the only blemish on their record. They beat Clemson. They beat Virginia, that was ranked number one in the country, in Charlottesville, and one of the the best games in ACC history that did not involve a Florida State, Clemson, or Miami, or Virginia Tech. <laughs> um, uh, I remember that game. It was 41-38. They had a quarterback named Sean Jones. You had, a, I think, Ken Swilling was on that team. Ooh, yeah, um, linebacker. They were really good, really good. And um, so, so I strongly think they deserved it based on the criteria at the time because you have another team that had lost a game and tied a game and then should have lost a second one. Um and I think if you, if you look at it through today's lens, there, there's no way. But the AP decided, you know, Colorado was the national champion with a loss and a tie. Well, and I think Colorado at that point, as you mentioned, under McCartney, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, um, oh, who was his offensive coordinator? I worked with him on some radio games. Uh, a former Colorado coach, Gary Barnett. Gary Barnett, oh yeah. Gary, Gary Barnett was on that staff. Um, the, the, those teams, you know, they they had it rolling. They were getting all those California kids to go out to Boulder, um, and, and so they they had been knocking on the door a couple of years previous to 1990. 
So they were already in the conscious of the voters. And I, uh, so I, I think that's what kind of, they weren't like a one and done, you know, they weren't like Georgia tech was closer to a one and done. I mean, Georgia tech, that was Bobby Ross, right? Oh yeah. Bobby, that was the slow, the, this was a pretty quick build, um, but yeah, he had a he. That was his best team at Tech. Yeah, I mean, and and if you look at Georgia Tech, which has been virtually irrelevant now for for quite some time, and I can tell you, living in Atlanta for the last ten years, um, it's like they're not even here. It's it's it, this is so <laughs> Georgia dominant, SEC dominant, Florida State dominant. Oh, by the way, Georgia Tech is ten miles down the road. Go see a game. There's plenty of tickets if you want one. Um, but so they had their kind of, you know, their flash in the pan. Uh, but overall, Georgia Tech just kind of came out of nowhere. Colorado, you could probably piece together a good three, four year span under McCartney. Well, they were pretty doggone legit. Yeah. And you had some athletes. I mean, really, it carried on after 1990. Then you have the the Cordell Stewart years and the Westbrook years. Um, I mean, they had no problem getting skilled players yeah. to Boulder. And Gary Barnett eventually took that job too. And so mm-hmm. uh, he had a, he had a really good run. I mean, they, you know, even as recently as Oh five, um, when Vince young had his season at Texas, you know, Colorado won this is back when the Big 12 had divisions. They won their division and played the Longhorns in the Big 12 championship game. Now, the final score of that game, I think, was 70-3. to I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> but still, I mean, they, they, they have been decent over the years. You're right, Tech. It's the 30th anniversary of this national championship year coming up this season on the flats in Atlanta. So... You know, maybe they can rally mm. around the pass. I, you know, and this Colorado team, you're right. This was these were the glory years of Colorado football. They opened the season on a neutral side against Tennessee. That game ended in a tie. They beat Stanford the next week, and then they played at Illinois. Now, this particular year, Illinois is pretty doggone good, uh, and they lost by a point. And then they went undefeated in the Big Ten, Big Eight, won at Nebraska, beat Oklahoma. You know, so I kind of get it. I just think body of work wise, if you're if you're looking at it, you know, and back then going undefeated meant everything. It meant more than strength of schedule in a lot of ways. Uh, I think you know I would have given it to Tech, but that's just me. Um, and then considering the fifth down game, which there was, they yeah. should not have won that game. You know, I maybe I, I feel like you know, you know, you, not necessarily punish them for the refs being horrible, which is that's one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. But you know, hey, did they really deserve it? Is this really an undefeated team? That sure. would be my question. And the funny thing is, if we had a four-team playoff in 1990, I don't think either one of those teams would have won it. No, <laughs> I don't probably think not. One, I don't think either one of those teams. I mean, that's why the the history of college football is, is so. Uh, it, it feels like there should be an asterisk among, uh, besides so many different things, but I guess that's part of the beauty of it too. We love controversy and goodness knows they had plenty of it in college football, at least now, uh, I, as we pointed out, it's painfully predictable, but there's not a ton of controversy. I will say that. So by the way, uh, Colorado at that time, uh, uh, 1988, eight and four. Went to the Freedom Bowl. 89, 11, and 1 went to the Orange Bowl. 1990 uh, won the Orange Bowl and the, and the share of the national championship. 
the next few years, eight wins, nine wins. This is back when you had 11 win seasons, eight win, 11 game seasons, eight wins, nine wins, eight wins, 11 wins in 1994, where they won the Fiesta Bowl. They were 11 and one 1995, 10 and two won the Cotton Bowl, 1996, 10 and two won the Holiday Bowl. And, and by the way, those last two years I mentioned were under Rick Neuheisel. And then things just kind of went south. And then Gary Barnett came in. He had one good year in 2001. They went 10-3. and three. And since then, Colorado, with the exception of the one year you mentioned, or maybe you didn't mention, I beg your pardon, 2016, Mike McIntyre, who found himself out of a job after being – the AP coach of the year in 2016, they go 10 and four Colorado has been a mess uh, and they can't seem to find money. And then they, I, I, I don't know, but it's a shame. I've been out there to do a couple games, a beautiful campus, beautiful city. Uh, it, it's, it's a special place. You got, you got the bull, uh, uh, Ralphie, the yeah, Buffalo, the, Buffalo, not the bull, the Buffalo, Ralphie. obviously. What is the difference between a buffalo and a bull? Scientifically, can we, There's more can we hair. break that down? There's a little more hair on a buffalo, Mike, I think. Um, okay. But yeah, they're, they're kind of the same. What would a fight between a buffalo and a bull? I don't, right, I don't know. You're getting into, like, zoology here, and I'm just like, you know. <laughs> that Tiger King guy, he would know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've not watched one second of that, but I've heard no, of it. Yeah, it's, it's all the rage these days, so um, – I'm going to have to get on that. I saw the previews, and a buddy of mine said it's just insane. He's like, that show's just insane. So I'm That's what I keep that. hearing, not necessarily so, in a good way. Yeah, I, I you know, I, and I, I agree. And Colorado's one of those programs, I think, if they ever get their act together and they ever – I mean, they're a big victim to this Pac-12 thing uh, with not having the money to go. I, I think they've got good fans. You know, think about – you know, and, and it's kind of hard when you're talking about pro markets versus college markets because sometimes like, if you're in a college, if you're in a pro market, your college teams don't really sell. You mentioned Georgia Tech or whatever. But, man, I mean, the fans out in Colorado love the Buffaloes. And the, you, you look at kind of how they've supported the Broncos all these years because the Broncos have been really good for the most part. And back in the day, Folsom Field was a difficult place to go play. It was not easy. Um, and so I don't know. I think that's it. But, you know, uh, Miami, Washington in 91, I have no idea which team would have won. The Huskies are really good on defense and Miami was really speedy and dominant. My guess is Miami would have won it. Um, those two teams were just such war. They were worlds apart. And so, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know if they, <laughs> I don't know who would have won it or, or, or not. But I feel strongly about this Michigan-Nebraska deal. I, You know, looking at that Nebraska team that year and comparing it to that Michigan team, and that Michigan team won a lot of close games against some teams that were good, but probably not as good as this Nebraska team. This Nebraska team was absolutely dominant for the whole year, blew out Peyton Manning's Tennessee team in the Orange Bowl, blew out A&M in the Big 12 championship game, 54-15, uh, I believe they won on the road at Washington, and Washington was a top 10 team at the time by 15 earlier in the year in the non-conference. I just, nobody's ever going to convince me that the 1997 Nebraska Cornhuskers wouldn't have laid the wood on the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I wouldn't argue with that uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. And again, that's that's more in my uh, my memory bank pr- pretty vividly. As, as you mentioned that was a Michigan team that won a lot of – I remember the last game against Ohio State, 
And of course, that was the last um, the last chance for Charles Woodson to to make a statement to win the Heisman Trophy. And you remember, of course. I mean, nowadays we look at it like really a defensive back won the Heisman. I mean, you could see a situation where a defensive lineman, and we almost came close this year, uh, and we and with Chase Young, and you know, if you go back to Hugh Green of Pitt, like it's we've had D linemen get in the top three, top five of, of the Heisman, but a defensive back, and yes, he caught a few passes and re- returned some kicks, but in that game, David Boston who was a wide receiver for Ohio State, beat him twice deep, once for a touchdown, man-to-man, no cover two, no, just mano-a-mano, just boom, beat him. Another time he beat him, and Ohio State, who was a Krenzel, who was a quarterback then, they had like two guys, didn't they? Is either uh, Krenzel or maybe Joe Germain, I don't know for Germain, sure. Germain, yeah, either, neither one of them were that good. And another one, Boston, again beat Woodson, so and now this time the throw was was terrible, so it didn't result in a touchdown. But basically, he got beat deep twice for what should have been touchdowns. To me, that's the equivalent of like Peyton Manning throwing five picks in a game against Florida, because uh, that was the only thing that kept Peyton Manning from winning the award. He didn't beat Florida, and he had bad games against Florida. But other than that, I I still believe Peyton Manning should have won the Heisman Trophy. I, I didn't have a vote back then like I do now. Peyton Manning would have gotten my vote. With all due respect to Charles Woodson, who was a very good college player, went on to a fine NFL career. Uh, that was there was a a media blitz where I feel like I'm really being progressive by voting for a defensive player. And oh, he, and he and he caught some passes, and he returns kicks. This is the year, and that there was like a snowball effect. Well, this guy's saying he's a Heisman. I, I guess he is a Heisman. This guy, I guess he is more special than Daryl Green and Deion Sanders and all these other DBs that were just as good, if not better, than Charles Woodson. Uh, but let's go ahead and give it to the defensive guy so we can prove that it's not a one-dimensional award. And he got it, uh, and he got it over a guy that, in my mind was more deserving in Peyton Manning. Boy, yeah. we are off on one tangent after another today, but I guess that's that's what it's meant to be when, during this is. corona time. Yeah, and then the media, speaking of the media blitz, voted Michigan number one over Nebraska. And I just don't know how you could look at that. I mean, look, I'm sorry. you know, And I know Michigan was a great story that year, and, and Michigan's a great program, and this is nothing against them. I will go to my grave believing the 1997 Nebraska Cornhuskers would have not only beaten that Michigan team, which also had one Tom Brady as its backup quarterback, and to be honest, as good as Nebraska was on defense that year, um, Brady may have been playing by the second that. Brian, yeah. Brian Greasy Greasy. was the quarterback. I mean, they may, you know, you never know playing a front like that. But I'll go to my grave thinking the Huskers would have won that one going away. I think the Georgia Tech thing was a little bit unfair just because – you know, I don't know that Georgia Tech beats Colorado head-to-head, just to be honest. Mm-hmm. But Michigan-Nebraska, I am convinced Nebraska would have rolled them. That team would have rolled that Michigan team. So that's just me there. Split champions, let's all be thankful that they don't exist anymore. Yes. Let's all be thankful that uh, at least now we crown one champion. We have a playoff. So much in college football is greater than it's ever been. It's it's a much more exciting. You know, watching some of those classic basketball games over the past uh, couple weeks, because, again, there's nothing else on, uh, 
I, I know I, I'm not one of these where I'm a prisoner of the moment and my generation is better than this generation and whatnot. But really, if you watch a basketball game, uh, the the good is you had players that hung around for four years. So obviously the, the, the star power is unmatched. It's just unmatched. We're never going to get back to that day and time in, in college basketball. But no three-point line, no shot clock, then a 45-second shot clock. You could just take the air out of the basketball. Um, it, 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 the game is, is better now. In college football, uh, I, you know, with all due respect to the triple option and the wishbone, when I watch those old games now, I'm bored to tears. It's like a rock throwing contest. It is. You know? It is. Like, yeah, it's just like it's like it's like comparing uh, you know ColecoVision to Xbox. You know, it's it's just like the, the graphics don't don't stack up. Watching college football, even as recently as the '80s, in a league like the SEC, compared to what we have now. It's such a better game to watch. It, it, and then, of course, then we d- decide a national championship in a much better way. So for all the um, things we can talk about, that how you can improve this, that, and the other, I mean, to me, college football has never been better. Uh, I do want to see more diversity in terms of teams playing for the title. I do think it would, be, it would behoove the sport. And I'm not saying we can create this in a lab, but we, we, it would be good to have more fan bases to actually believe they've got a shot at even making the playoff as opposed to what we have now where it's the same half a dozen teams every year. But that being said, college football is fantastic, and that's why we hope we have it. And that's why I hope when I open up the Internet every day, I'm not seeing the main story being SEC allowing virtual meetings with players. Okay, that's great. Uh, that doesn't even interest me. That doesn't interest me either. I mean, just to, I mean, I love everything about it, but I'm just like, oh, great. Well, so they they've decided to allow you to get on Skype or whatever and talk to your players. Well, they should have done that anyway. You know? Exactly. Like, that this this really does does nothing for me uh, whatsoever. And then I hate having to read story. I'm glad that this the the spring athletes are getting another year of eligibility. Although they're, they're, that's a little bit murky on how all that is going to go down because the scholarships. The scholarship limits stay the same if I'm reading this correctly. Now the roster they, sizes can go up. Yeah, they, right. Well, the, the you you're in other words, your seniors, and it's just for seniors. And so, in in college baseball, there's so much junior attrition that there's almost like seniors are almost kind of few and far between. But you know, I, I guess your seniors do not count. Um. And uh, they can take less money, you know, because no, nobody talks about this either. And this is a whole topic on a whole podcast. Uh, baseball is 11.7 scholarships. It's a joke. And yeah, it's, I, I've never, I will never understand why the NCAA has the, you know, the rules they do for this particular sport, because a lot of fan bases love it. And a lot of players get a lot of opportunity out of it, but that's beside the point. Um, so in other words, your seniors are exempt, but, that also doesn't change the money limit. And so coaches are going to have to be very, very creative. The other thing about baseball is the draft for the major leagues may be held to like five rounds. And so all your juniors that were going to go pro and hit the minors and start their careers may come back to college. So you've got a overflow of players (laughs) now on the college level. And so, um, 
once again, what I think was a very, very noble intention uh, as far as the NCAA making that rule, giving them an exemption, is going to, because of the crazy rules in college baseball, uh, it's probably going to end up being a negative for the sport when all is said and done. Yeah, it's. I, I think college baseball continues to be one of the most heavily abused sports out there, if not the most. And it's it's sad that we haven't been able to uh, make more ground on that. Uh, if you ever want to get some interesting reasons why that is, talk to Ron Polk, the legendary uh, former coach at Mississippi State, and he'll 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 cut through a lot of the a lot of the fat and tell you why that is what it is. Uh, you know, in the meantime, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm trying to keep positive on all this and I took to go to circle back to one of our main uh, topics at the top. I, I want to believe there is going to be a college football season. It might be modified in some way, shape or form, but I, I'm just not at the point where I'm Kirk Herbstreet and I'm saying that I don't, I'd be surprised if there's a season. I, I, I would not be surprised in a lot of ways. I'd be surprised if there's not, um, but if for, if for some reason this just continued to not get better uh, or, God forbid, get worse, and we didn't have a college football season, you would really start to realize just how much – you know, when you hear this argument, and I've always said I don't mind college athletes getting more. They get more now than they ever have before. Um, people like Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban have talked about the fact that in addition to having everything paid for, when I say everything, I don't just mean education. I mean, meals, I mean, housing, they're getting about 20 to 25 grand that they can literally pocket, especially if you're eligible for a Pell grant cost of attendance, everything else that is free money, not paid back free pocket money. You're going to realize if we didn't have college football, some of those athletes are going to realize just how important that is because for many of them, you know, they, they can't just pick up the phone and have mom wire a thousand dollars. Uh, that, that is essential into their way of life, not just within football, but outside of football. So uh, there's going to be a major mountain of logistics to climb. If you don't have football and you don't have the revenues from football coming in, because, again, it's not a bottomless pit for all these schools, and not every school is going to be able to withstand the pressure of paying all these kids. It's not just keeping a seat in the classroom. You hear that felonious argument made so many times. I just uh, the, the, the ignorance and the naivete from people that love to get into this discussion on how college athletes are exploited – uh, it's it's embarrassing. These are people that, unfortunately, uh, many of them have a, a kind of a bully pulpit on television or uh, in print to talk as if they know what they're talking about while they give an uneducated hot take on it. If if you were to take away the revenues from college football, now all of a sudden, a lot of these schools are not going to be able to just pay everybody all the things they're paying them with no revenues coming in. And that's when the model of college athletics, people want it to get, want to have it blown up so college athletes get more and name, image, and likeness and everything else. It could go the other way, too. Yes. You could, you could have it blown up where they're not getting what they're getting now if something like this, God forbid, lasts through an entire college football season. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I think that 
you know, everybody's cruising along. Uh, the, you know, national economy is going well. You know, you, you kind of hear some people, you know, screaming about, I guess, coaches' salaries and the money that's being made and all that. But, you know, the bottom line is this, is that if there's not – if you don't actually play the games and you don't actually have a season, the money that is coming in – uh, is not going to be there. There's not going to be a pie to split up. And so, you know, that, that some of these people that love to kind of stand on the table about all this all the time and, and, and whose jobs depend on there being such a thing as college football, you know, maybe you need to kind of think about that. Are you willing to – do you really want to go down with a ship, <laughs> you know, right. and, and all that? I mean, you know, that, that's the thing because the bottom line is we all have to make a living and we all love the game. And, sure, there could be some different things, but – um you know, I think that the, the last month and, you know, moving forward, the last three weeks and then moving forward in the in the coming days, we're all going to have to think about, you know, the appreciation that there is such a thing. No question. No question. And again, I want to end this on a positive note, just like we started off on a positive note. I, I, I don't think we're there yet. Obviously, if you are the leaders, the pillars of the college athletic uh, athletics communities you you have to be forward thinking and you have to start thinking of worst case scenario and that's that's going on that should be going on but i don't i don't think there's any reason to start thinking that we're going to be without the entire football season that includes the nfl too i mean goodness gracious uh the 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 repercussions of all that would be huge and and it would be depressing not just from a sports fan standpoint it'd be it, because this is obviously a great diversion we love sports for for so many different reasons that's one of them but also it would be an indicator that obviously the rest of normal life has not become normal again and that's a scary thought in itself and a sobering thought in itself and and one that I'm just not ready to uh put my arms around because I I feel like as we record this on March the 31st there's still way too much time in the game uh, to be thinking that, that, that we're going to be at that point. So we'll see. We'll talk about it again a week from now, JC. Any closing thoughts uh, as we bid adieu on this one? Yeah, just go out and, um, you know, some of these uh, local businesses, I know a few in my area have, have uh, I've even reached out to some of the establishments I would frequent. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they have takeout menus and then, and, and, you know, it's not risky to go get the, the food and all that and pick it up from them, or they'll deliver it to you. They'll put it right on your porch these days. So I encourage everybody to do that. Um, if you want to do your part for all this, those are the people that are really struggling right now. And, um, you know, thanks for listening to our podcast and, uh, and all that good stuff. I would second what you said, and I'm glad you said it. Uh, you and I have both at one point in our lives uh, 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 delivered food. I delivered pizzas when I was in high school. Uh, tip your drivers well, folks. And I've even made a habit of doing something I don't normally do. When I go and take out food, I tip the person working the takeout window. Mm-hmm. I just, I'll throw them three bucks because by golly, they're in there. Um, they're working hard. And yeah, that is a, a major part of the economy is restaurants. A lot of them are struggling I am certainly doing my part because I've been doing a whole lot of Uber Eats and DoorDash and takeout orders wherever I have been uh, and encourage people to do the same and, and take care of the of the people that are doing that. Uh, and, of course, you've got a number of small businesses if you can help out in any way. You know, one of, uh, one of them, I wouldn't call them too small, 
because he works nationwide would be Brent Skinner, BP Skinner Clothiers. And again, even though the shop is closed, he's still out there on the road coming straight to you. And yes, he is healthy. Uh, and if you are healthy, he'll be come out and see you and get you fit for all your custom-made suits and any other clothing because at some point we're all going to want to look good again yeah. not looking real good right now <laughs> the beard is going strong i uh you know haven't been putting on the uh, normal array of moisturizers no i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> at some point you will want to look good again and and it's exciting to uh that we warm the one good thing in everything uh in all of this i should say is uh, the weather is getting warmer for the most part, but uh, bpskinnerclothiers.com is the website. In the meantime, we'll be keeping out for any type of news we can get, and hopefully we'll have more positive things uh, to pass along to you folks next week. In the meantime, he's JC. I'm Mike. So long for this installment of the JC and Morgan podcast. <laughs>